turn to Acts chapter 2. It's amazing to go back and see in the book of Acts how the church in which we know how that it began. That God sent back his spirit to indwell his church as he sent them into all the world to, to preach the gospel. We'll be looking at verses 36 down through verse uh, verse 40. Our Lord told us in Matthew 28 the what's called, nom, normally called the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me, in heaven and in earth. All power and all authority is given unto him. And because of that, because all authority is given unto him, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth, in the end of the world. Then in Mark 16, it's, it's very similar. He said, go into all the world. Not just the Jews, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, I was studying something the other day, and it was talking about the languages that the Bible has been translated into, that there were so many, it was unreal, I can't remember the number that it has never been translated into their language. And we are so blessed to have it in our language. And he said, you go into all the world, preaching the gospel to every creature, and he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in me. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall be recovered. Now, I know that literally happened with the apostle, but it also applies today. As we look around and we see anybody that's a believer, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. It was a miracle of grace that God sent them the gospel, and it's a miracle that God gave them ears to hear. Salvation is a divine miracle. God's people are people of whom he has cast out like he did uh, Mary Magdalene, all these devils. We were possessed with ourselves. We were taken captive by the devil at his will. And we are a people. God's people do speak with a new tongue. Our mouths used to be full of cursing and bitterness. But not now. We still speak sometimes like we shouldn't, but we do speak in a language the world doesn't understand. Doesn't understand. They don't understand the language of grace. And believers speak grace. That's the only language they know is grace. And they listen for it. When they, they're listening, when they hear somebody preach, what's he preaching? They're listening for grace. It has a distinct sound. And then God's people are forced every day to take up serpents in this world and, and drink the deadly concoctions of the wicked. And we're not hurt. 
were spared. If, it, if they could, they would destroy us. It's like when the, the serpent opened his mouth in the book of Revelation and the flood of heresy came out. But we have the great and wonderful privilege to live in this world for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel. We live in this age in which we live. These people for hundreds and thousands of years lived with gas lamps, with candles, burnt wood, cooked with wood. And now look at us. We've, you've got more than that phone than people used to have in a whole big room full of computers. I can remember uh, when my wife worked at the bank, she worked in what they called key punch. They had to actually punch in by hand every check number, the account number, and the whole thing, key punch. Now all that's done by computers. But the Lord has given us those things to be able to take the gospel into the whole world. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? All these things, all these things were given for God's people. Now, the world just benefits from it, and they abuse it, but that's what it was given for. We cast the gospel net over this little part of the world where we're at. We can't cast it over the whole world, but just this little part where he's placed us. I want to give you several scriptures along this. I know I mentioned this a lot, but this is important because this is what we're going to look at tonight. We're, looking, we're still looking at Peter's sermon. What Peter preached, the first sermon that's recorded by the Holy Spirit, by a man that was inspired of the Spirit of God, the first message that was preached after our Lord ascended back to glory. And what he preached is what we always preach. It's how we set forth God, Christ, before men. If you would turn to 1 Corinthians one twenty one. These are scriptures showing you the necessity of preaching the gospel. And if you just want to write them down somewhere and you can come back later. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them. That believe we're going to see tonight if we get all the way through it he's going to save 3,000 souls and how did he do it through one man one man standing and preaching and through the foolishness of preaching not the foolishness of the message there's nothing foolishness about that but men when men look at it as foolishness they think well we need something else then in first Corinthians same book turn over to chapter 15 Verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Now watch these three things, which you which also you have received. They received the gospel that Paul preached to them. And wherein you stand, that's the foundation upon which we stand. And by that gospel is by which also you are saved. 
It didn't say that you were saved. You are saved. We were saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. Then turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. A man cannot trust in an unrevealed Christ as he is set forth. Remember I mentioned Sunday, pointed out in whom we have redemption. Here it says, Ephesians 1.13, in whom, not in what, in whom, you also trusted. After, when did you trust? After you heard the word of truth, not a false truth, not a lie, in whom you heard the word of truth. Now watch this, the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and he will never leave us. But when did you hear? After you heard the word of truth. A lot of people like to hang on, well, I was saved before I ever heard the gospel. That's not according to God's word. You say, well, you know, then I just, well, I was saved under a false gospel, then I just come to the knowledge of, of, of the gospel. You may come to a knowledge of doctrine, but you, when you hear Christ, you believe him. How can, you cannot, it's impossible, you can't believe in somebody that's never been introduced unto you. And that's what he lays down all through the scriptures. You trusted. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Paul's talking about many that apostatized, many that turned away when a man of sin will be revealed. But in so much apostasy, just like the day in which we live, but we are bound, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, a, that's, a, that's two verses that are just slapped full. God chose you. He, you were beloved of God. You were chosen from the foundation of the world. You were chosen to salvation. And you were given the ability to believe the truth, and then you were called. He called you by our gospel. And Paul said, if anybody, anybody preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. And now James chapter 1, verse 18, just a few more verses. James 1, 18, of his own will. Now, whose will is this talking about? It's talking about God's will. Everybody wants to talk about their will, don't they? And their will, and it's up to my will to decide, it's up to my will to choose, and all this, of his own will. Beget he us. How did God beget us? With his will, with the word of truth. The truth shall set you free. That we should be of kind of first fruits of his creatures. We've heard the word. The spirit of God dwells within us but it's of God's will. 
which beget us. And what did he use? How did he beget us? God, he didn't, need, he didn't have to use the word, but he chose to. That's the means. God has ordained the use of means. That's why some people say, well, if God's going to save them, he's going to save them. Well, I know that. I know God is God, and he's, he's going to save his elect, but he will not go against what he has decreed. He has purposed through the preaching of the gospel to save sinners. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God. Why, why is it that men attack this book? Why do many say, well, it's filled with errors, it's filled with, with contradictions, and, and there's other books that did not make it into this canon of Scripture? you imagine how God preserved this? The, I think we, I mean, Sandy was reading something, something the other day. Do you know the first printing press? you know what was first printed? Which Bible was it, Sandy? Gutenberg Bible. You think about it. God allowed them. You may think before you're doing it by scribes. You're transcribing it by hand. Everything, doing it by hand. And you come up with a printing press. You imagine how many, how many they can print now. It's just you can get a Bible anywhere because it's easy to print something. But we are born again by the word of God. This is how, if God's going to speak to you, we don't need visions, we don't need dreams, as we see in the book of Acts, because we have the complete word of God. If God's going to speak to us, he's going to speak to us through his word. That's why Satan attacks it. That's why men try to preach another gospel, which is nothing but a lie. This is our foundation. This tells us who God is. This tells us how God saves sinners. By the word of truth, which liveth and abideth forever. It's eternal. This is, the, this is the eternal word of God. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower is thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. God forgive us if we ever take it lightly. God help us to read it and, and then God help us to understand it. Everything in the world tries to take its place. But here we see Peter concluding his message. Verse 36, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 36. Therefore, as he preached to them and showed them from the Old Testament that David's son, as our Lord come through the lineage of David, is also David's Lord. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He said that same Jesus. 
that you crucified, that you know this assuredly, that God hath made that same Jesus, not a different one, the same one, the same one they knew who he, they knew exactly who he was. He said he preached to them Jesus of Nazareth, that Jesus. Oh, yeah, we know who that is. We took him outside Jerusalem and we crucified him. That's what we did. They knew exactly, everybody in Jerusalem knew who he was. Everybody far and wide knew who he was. They said he was a counterfeit. They said he was a fraud. They said he was a fake. And there's this rumor going around among some people. It's a conspiracy theory that he raised from the dead. That's what's going on in their mind. And all God has gathered all these people there for the Feast of Pentecost, and he's going to declare unto them that all the house of Israel know assuredly that that same Jesus, God hath made that same Jesus, both Lord and Christ. He's not some little weak Savior. He's Lord. They need to find out he's Lord. He's Lord. He's King. That's what Peter preached to these people. He's not trying to be Lord. He is Lord. Lord means he's sovereign over all men. We saw back in verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And they fulfilled the purpose of God. God wasn't out of control. I mean, this circumstances were not out of his control. Everything happened, even Herod being raised up, Pilate being raised up, Judas being born, all this is going to serve God's purpose. God's even ordained the way his son will have to die, by crucifixion. God ordained it. That's the first thing they hear. They hear that, man, oh, God's sovereign? Oh, yeah. You want most people to say, we won't receive it. God didn't have anything to do with that. God had everything to do with it. God ordained before the world was ever made that his son would be the sacrifice for sin. God determined it. It was to fulfill his purpose. And they did exactly what God ordained for them to do. Listen in uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 9. For to this end, Christ both died, rose, and revived. Why? Why did he die? Why did he rise? Why was he revived, went to glory, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living? He's just not Lord of the elect. He's the Lord of all men. All men serve his purpose. And it's just like, it's like the scaffolding on a house. If you'll drive out, they're working on the hospital. They're going to put up some scaffolding and things to build that hospital. But that scaffolding is just going to use a purpose to build the, the hospital. And when they're done with it, they'll take the scaffolding down and put it up somewhere. It served its purpose. That's how men do. They served their purpose. And God's done with them. It makes one vessel unto honor, one unto dishonor. Peter never asked, now watch this, in this sermon, he never asked those he was preaching 
If they wanted to make Jesus Lord of their life, he never asked them that. He never asked them, is there not anybody that would like to make Jesus or accept Jesus as your personal Savior? None of that. They didn't, he didn't ask them if they wanted to give their heart to Jesus. None of that. That's exactly what we hear today. What we've heard for thousands of years. It's not in this book. When he said, Lord, that meant that he can show mercy to whom he will show mercy, and whom he will, he'll leave alone. He's Lord. How did he become Lord? God the Father made him Lord. He earned the right as a man, as a man to rule over all things. He he bought the sovereign right by his death. And he will do with this world as he sees fit. It's his world. He redeemed it. He redeemed everything that Adam lost. Everything. It's his. It's not somebody else's. It's his. The Father gave it into his hands. When he made him Lord, he gave all the authority and the power into his hands. Who has the authority? The one with all the power. The one with all the power has all the authority. Said, I don't like him having the authority. There, there's not anybody, there's not nobody telling me what to do. Don't you know I have rights? I have rights. What about his rights? He has the right. He earned the right. You know what we do? We have the right to sit down and shut up. Right. He said every mouth's going to be stopped. The men don't like this that he's Lord. Now, he can be Lord over creation, and we'll have be okay with that. And he can be Lord over some other things, but oh, but he can't be Lord over salvation. He died and rose and revived. Now remember that, that he might be what? Lord of the dead and the living. John 5, 22. The Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto his Son. That's why his Son is seated at the right hand of the Father, and everybody's going to stand before the great white throne judgment of God in Jesus Christ the Son of God, the God-man mediator, is sitting on that throne. And he's going to judge all men. He's going to put his sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. They're his sheep and they're his goats. They're his. He's Lord. John 17, 2 and 3, our Lord said, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou has given him. We were given to Christ, you know these truths, before the world was made, and he was responsible to save every one of us, to call us. And this is life eternal, that you may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And when he was born, Luke 2, 11, for until you is born this day, you think about this, until you is born this day, in the city of David, a Savior. Who is he? He is Christ the Lord. That's who he is. 
Here's I'm going to tell you who he is. He he's not some failure that you. The last time you saw him, he was a bloody, gory mess, and you thought you had the upper hand. But through death, he destroyed him that had the power of death. You think you think of the power and the authority that it took. He was a lamb before his shears, and he opened not his mouth. He said, I could call 12 legions of angels and destroy the whole bunch, but he didn't. Why? He must save his people. He must. You imagine hearing this. Do you mean that that one that we crucified, we thought was a fake and a phony, he's the Messiah? Look what we did. We see what we did. What's the cure for what we did? Is Is there any hope for us? Just a very simple message. And told them God's sovereign and his Lord. In verse 27, and when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what must we do? They heard the gospel not just in words. This is just an old ignorant fisherman, just an old backward fisherman. But this man knew, because he was taught of God, he knew who Christ was. And he told them, and they heard. He showed them from the Old Testament that it spoke of Christ. He was David's son and David's Lord. When they heard who Christ was and what they had done, they were filled with guilt because it pricked their hearts. Not just pricked their attention, it cut their heart. That's circumcision of the heart. That's the wounding. And then he heals. He kills and he makes alive. They were pricked. What did our Lord tell Paul? He said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Convicted, guilty, guilty. We all had a hand in it. Oh, some religious people would say, well, if I was in the crowd that day, I would have never cried crucify him. Oh, yes, you would. We were all right there. You imagine. I'm glad he's gone. I'm tired of dealing with it. I'm tired of hearing all this stuff about Jesus this and Jesus that, and he's gone. No, he ain't gone. God's going to turn the world upside down. They thought he, he'd failed, but he didn't. He didn't. They didn't just hear with human ears. They heard the word with power. And this is what it takes today for men to hear. God must enable them to hear, or they'll just hear with indifference. Really, you don't hear with indifference. You either go more hard in your heart, or God will bring you to himself. Listen, First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul said, I know you're the elect of God. 
You say, well, how can we know that they're the elect of God? Do we, we don't have a sign on our forehead that says we're the elect of God. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. How did he know they were the elect of God? For our gospel came not unto you in word only. It came to you, but not just in word only, and in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. In power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. That day that Peter preached... We don't know how many thousands they were there, but we do know that they was 3,000 that were his. And that's a big number. You imagine it hurt him one day. And now you imagine 3,000 and have to, or candidates for baptism. It shook everybody up. They heard. I can tell you if people heard they would be disturbed. They would be concerned. You know what? Mainly their first thing they're concerned for is their own lost soul. That's it. What are we, we, we going to do? How are we, how we going to undo, sure, what we did? When it's pleased for God to call his elect, the gospel always come in power, irresistible power. He makes men willing. And he's the only one that can. They were pierced with guilt. They realize now that they're guilty sinners. Guilty. I can't think of much more horrible than guilt. Guilt. It's always there. It's always gnawing at me. Guilt. Guilt. Look what you did. How can we undo what we've done? We can't. All who believe have been circumcised in heart. All must come through conviction. Our Lord said in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. And if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. And if I depart, and he did, I will send him unto you. Well, what is his office? Why did the Spirit of God come? And when he is come, he's going to reprove the world, convict the world, convince the world of three things. He's going to convince the world of sin. Not sins, but sin. Sin is who they are. Sin is who we are. He's going to convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Sin must be punished. Conviction is painful. God strips and he may clothe. He empties that he may feel. He wounds that he may heal. I mean, he empties that he may feel and wounds that he may heal. He kills and he may make alive. And in Zechariah 12.10, here's conviction. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Supplication is mourning over sin. And they shall look upon me, he said, 
whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. If you ever really see that it was your sin that nailed him to the cross, your guilt, your rebellion, when we see that, oh, now that's humbling. That's humbling. You can imagine the two thieves on the cross, both, both railed upon him. But then one, then one saw. He saw. He said, would you remember me when you come into thy kingdom? And he rebuked his buddy. He said, why don't you be quiet? We're, why don't you be quiet? We're getting what we deserve. This man's done nothing amiss. What did they say? What shall we do? We're all legalists by nature, and we think that there's something, that salvation is something that we can do to undo what we've done. How in the world can we appease God? They ask, what shall we do? This was asked several times. They asked John the Baptist, what shall we do? Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The Philippian jailer, Paul, was cast into, into jail. And they begin to pray and sing praises. And the jailer run in and he asked the same question. What must I do to be saved? Then Paul asked the same question on the Damascus road. He was telling of his conversion and he said, Acts 22.10, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus. And there it shall be told thee all things which are appointed for thee to do. When they ask this question, this implies that they are unable to remove their guilt, and I think they're asking for help. I think they're really sincere. Well, if that's the case, what must I do? Now, religion, if, now I believe that people can be under their... You can hear a general call and your emotions be stirred and feel some measure of guilt. And when you ask men, what must I do? Oh, they'll say, well, you need to go to work and you need to do all this and you need to do that. Well, then then it's like the prodigal son. They said, go feed hogs. Go feed swine. They went. He went to a founder man of the far country. He said, go feed them swine. And then you can work enough and save enough and you can earn back your father's good graces. What did Peter say? First thing, he said, repent. When Peter answered their question, he speaks no word of rebuke. When they asked Peter, what shall I do? Now, he didn't say, now we know this, what, what can a man do to be saved? And then we, we go to the far extreme and we say, well, there's nothing they can do. Now, we know that's true. We know you don't earn your salvation, but he commanded them to repent. John the Baptist said, repent. Our Lord said, you either you repent or you'll perish. <laughs> Repentance, this signifies that man's mind has changed. Before they heard Peter preach, their sin didn't bother them. Now it does. 
now they're convicted and they don't know how to remove the guilt. He said, turn from your wicked ways. Acts 3.19, repent. Here's what they preached. He preached in chapter 3, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of God. Repentance causes a person to think and to act in harmony with Jesus' teaching. He repented. Peter repented. Paul repented. He was going on the road to Damascus, and God changed him. He repented. Now he's preaching the gospel he once condemned. What that is? That's repentance. God must grant repentance unto the acknowledging of the truth. It is a gift. Just so, put it as simple as I can put it, so you'll know what repentance is. Repentance is bowing to Jesus Christ. The old preachers used to say, you take your old weapon, whether it's a sword or a gun or whatever, and you lay it down, and you wave the white flag, and you say, I surrender. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I claim that's repentance. We repent of what we think is how we can approach God. And now we see we can't even do it. He said, repent. He didn't ask them. He commanded them to repent. Repentance is the result of a pricked heart. Repentance is more than just sorrow for sin. It is godly sorrow. People, a lot of times people feel sorry because they were caught. Godly sorrow is truly broken over who I am. And there's not a thing I can do to change it. Then he said, repent and be baptized. Verse 38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know baptism. It is an outward confession to the world that they are following the one who sits upon his throne. You imagine if, Shara, you were a Jew, and the Lord had enabled you to believe and trust Christ, and you were baptized your whole family is going to turn on you. They said they would even go so far as to have a casket and say you were in it and have a burial and say you're dead to us. That's what it cost them. It's a public confession that I'm identifying with Jesus Christ who sits upon the throne. I am dead, I am buried, and I am risen with Christ, and we're going to walk in newness of life. The evidence of repentance is identifying with our Lord and with his people. They are identifying with that message. They're identifying with that Christ. They are ident- they're not ashamed to identify with him. He said, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in his authority. The notice there, the word for. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. We're not baptized to remove our sin. That word for should be because of. Baptism is not the cause or the means of sins being remitted. 
Baptism is a symbolic confession of faith in a sacrificial death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ by which our sins have been put away. It's not what puts them away, as men believe, but it's an evidence that we're trusting Christ who put away my sin. That's what I'm saying. That's what we're saying. Verse 39, for the promises to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as our Lord, our God, shall call. He has children all over the world, and he's going to call them. Not all men will be called. Some men hear a general call. But this call is effectual. Not everyone will come, but his people will. In verse 40, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward or this perverse, corrupt generation. Save yourself. Separate yourself from this wicked, vile, religious generation. And that was one. And we're living in one today. Let me give you two verses of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 6.17. What are we commanded to do? Peter told them. He told them to repent and be baptized and then to save yourself from this generation. Because that generation, God has left their house desolate. And in one day, that whole nation is going to fall. You save yourself from this generation. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be you separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And then Revelation chapter 18, verse 4. He's speaking there in that chapter of the Babylon, the great harlot. And what does he say? How do you know when someone's heard? They may be religious. They may go to uh, what they call a church. But they don't preach the truth. But if God, they ever hear the gospel, one evidence is they will repent, they will be baptized, and they will leave that place. They will run from it. These people were running from Judaism. 3,000 souls in one day converted. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sin and that you receive not of her plagues. What's that saying? God's going to judge this false church. And you know how he judges them? It's not that he's, it's somewhere down the road. He judges them today when he leaves them alone. And why would anybody, that had ever heard, want to sit under some man that's lying on God and lying on Christ. He said, you save yourself. This generation, this generation, and it's been like this every generation. We say it's just getting worse. It's always been bad. It's always been bad. Every generation's been wicked and vile and ungodly. That's what it is. Save yourself. From this ungodly generation. It's what he told them. Because you know what they'll do? They'll try to draw you back in. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, but that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. 
Paul said, none of these things move me. He told those in Ephesus, he said, when I leave, and I've not not ceased to to proclaim unto you the whole counsel of God, but when I leave, people are going to rise up and they're going to try to turn you away from Christ. This world's goal is to turn you away from Jesus Christ. In verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word. They didn't get mad about it, did they? They're tickled to death. They gladly received the word. They were baptized. And the same day, they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What a miracle. Who did this? Our Lord did. He fed 5,000, but here he, he saved 3,000, delivered them, snatched them like firebrands from the fire. He said, deliver him from going down into the pit. I found a ransom. Take a man that was so religious, and now, you know what? He's in love with Christ. And they may, all they ever seen was, was saw him in the flesh. And they see him now like we see him. We see him by faith. Having not seen you love, you love him because he loves you. Our Lord revealed that day that he was alive and that he was Lord. He's still the same God. We like to we we like to reminisce, don't we? We we like to talk about things in the past. You know, we, we like to talk about Spurgeon and ten thousand people coming to the Metropolitan Tabernacle. We like to talk about George Whitfield, thousands of people being saved. And this man's preaching outside without a, a microphone. You know, all that was that was God working. He's still the same God. We still preach the same gospel. Oh, that God would send his power and waken men up. You're talking about when, when God moves, you're talking about stirring people up. They ain't going to be laughing on the road to hell. They ain't going to be chewing chewing gum on the road to hell. They're going to be looking for somewhere to, to beg God to have mercy on them. Our Lord still adds to the church daily such as should be saved you know we talk about Spurgeon and those it was not always that way that was times when God moved I pray he'd move he'd move us to look to him and rest in him let's pray